We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to go back to this article from the Center for American Progress, an article that I didn't finish last week, one that makes the claim that the Bible is silent on the issue of LGBTQIA+, and that Jesus never even addresses the matter. This is a blatant lie, and I'll explain to you why. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning, and welcome to The Rebellion. Okay, it's Monday morning, and I want to go back and finish off a column, an article, that I referenced last Friday. It's a column from the Center for American Progress. It was written just before the Obergefell decision back, oh, in the mid Oh, 2009, 2010 era, I believe is when it was written. Back when this debate over gay marriage was being robustly discussed within the American public. If you remember at the time, many states, even California, had voted in favor of traditional marriage. Proposition 8 in California passed. In other words, those folks, those crazy leftists out there on the West Coast, even agreed that marriage should be defined as a union between one man and one woman. But all of that was overruled by the courts. Sidebar here, isn't it interesting that now the left, because they don't like what our courts are doing, are calling for the abolition of the Supreme Court. That's an article that I read over the weekend. Maybe we'll talk about that in subsequent shows later this week. That 53% of Democrats in a recent Rasmussen poll said that they favor abolishing the Supreme Court. And 39%, 4 out of 10 Democrats, believe that the United Nations should be given control over the Supreme Court of the United States. Whatever the Supreme Court is, the United States, excuse me, the United Nations should be able to overrule the Supreme Court of the United States. That's frightening stuff when you've got half of Democrats thinking that the Supreme Court of the United States should be abolished, and that even if it does exist in its current form, that there should be a constitutional amendment giving the United Nations authority to veto our own Supreme Court. We no longer have a culture. We no longer have a nation. We don't have borders, and the Democrats are now calling to abolish one of the three branches of our constitutional government, the Supreme Court. Why? Because they don't like the current rulings. But it was just yesterday, five minutes ago, that they were using the courts to overrule the will of the people, a la Prop 8 in California, and other movements across the nation, state democratic movements where the people of respective states said that they believed that marriage should be codified as one man and one woman Democracy, right? The rule of the people, the majority. No, that was unacceptable to the progressives when they had the courts ruling the way they wanted. 
But now that we have a Supreme Court that actually confines itself to what the Constitution says, the left doesn't like it. And they think the Supreme Court should be abolished. And they think that there should be radical democracy where the people should rise up and overrule the Supreme Court. Interesting, isn't it? How they've changed their tactics completely when they don't get their way. Again, perhaps a topic for another show at another time. What I want to talk about today is this article from the Center for American Progress that I started to discuss last Friday. It's an article that has four points where they say the Bible isn't clear on issues of sexual morality, specific LGBTQIA issues. And they try to make the point that it's the conservative interpretation of Scripture that's wrong and that the progressive, secular, liberal interpretation of Scripture is, well, that's what's been in play all along. And if we were just honest about the original meaning of the languages, then we would all come together in a great big group, kumbaya hug, because Jesus never even addresses these things you know. Jesus is just about affirmation and compassion and social justice. Jesus never addresses these issues of LGBTQIA, and he really didn't care about the sexual ethic. Well, this is just a lie. I mean, these people don't even attend to what the scriptures say, and they completely ignore centuries upon centuries, if not millennia, of research and scholarship with regard to what the Bible says and why it has been passed on to us accurately through translations that actually apply the original Greek language to our modern vernacular. That is indeed what scriptural interpretation has always been about because the interpreters of these various different translations, held the Bible in such high regard that they wanted to be completely accurate as they went back and looked at the original Greek and the original Hebrew and painstakingly translated those particular documents into English for us so that we could understand the true, real, and right meaning of God's revealed word to us. But the progressives don't want to accept that. They want to disparage inerrancy, and the accuracy of the Bible, and they want to twist it and manipulate it and insert their personal agenda. And that's what this particular article does. Let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll discuss that article, but I'll set the context again by going back to that sermon that I referred to a couple different times last week by Heath Rada, a Presbyterian minister from North Carolina, who's arguing that the Bible tells us to go out and stone women who get a divorce, and that the Bible never really even speaks to the issue of homosexuality, the morality or immorality therein. The Bible's silent on that. It doesn't even speak to the issue. But it's replete with calls to stone women who get a divorce. Nonsense. Just pure, unmitigated nonsense. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, so let's go over this. I know you heard me talk about it last week, but if, you're, if you didn't hear those shows, you need to hear this. 
Um, so I can set the context to the Center for American Progress column. And if you did hear me talk about this pastor, Keith, or excuse me, not, not Keith, Heath Rada from uh, North Carolina, Presbyterian pastor, who's got this sermon that he was uh, using multiple times. It wasn't just a one-time oopsie where he made a mistake and miscommunicated. No, he kept beating this drum as he was out on the stump, preaching this sermon in various different churches and church conferences around the South, places like North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. Okay, so here's what he says in this sermon that's titled, To Listen and to Love. He says that the Bible repeatedly calls for divorced women to be stoned, and then he then he sets off and he builds on that premise by arguing that as the church no longer believes in dragging a divorcee into the public square to pelter with rocks, the body of Christ should also, and likewise today, revise its views on homosexuality. After all, this is what he's saying. The Bible isn't really clear about this whole sexual morality thing. That's what he's inferring here. And when he was asked to respond to the numerous references from Leviticus to Revelation, where all forms of sexual immorality are clearly defined and condemned, I mean, if you read the Bible, you can see from Leviticus to Revelation, I would argue from Genesis to Revelation even. Maybe I'm being too, uh, too dismissive of Genesis there. But clearly from Levitical law to the closing verses in the book of Revelation, there's a consistent sexual ethic. As I said last week, show me one verse, one verse between those particular books, Leviticus to Revelation, where homosexuality is referred to in a positive way. There's nothing there. It's never affirmed. There's nothing positive said about it. The LGBTQIA agenda is never referred to in a positive way in the Bible. But there are multiple places where it's condemned. Okay? Now, when Rada was asked to respond to that, his, his answer was this. Who am I to judge? I hate that response, as you know. It's a complete misapplication of Jesus' statement that you are to judge not, lest he be judged, because it implies that you're not supposed to do any judging when Jesus himself, in the next few sentences, says, by their fruit you shall know them. So he's clearly not telling you not to judge. He's telling you how to judge. And basically, the principle is this. When you judge, make sure you're doing so with integrity. Make sure you recognize that by the same measure you use to judge others, that same measurement will be used on you. Judge not, lest he be judged. You're going to be judged in the same way that you judge. So don't do it if you aren't prepared to be judged by the same standard. And by the way, judge them by their fruit. By their fruit you shall know them. I mean, we need to learn to read the whole paragraph and not cherry pick half of a sentence out of the paragraph to try to make a point that's opposite to the meaning of the paragraph. I don't care what book you're reading. It doesn't have to be the Bible. It could be any book. It could be a column in the newspaper. When you cherry pick half a sentence out of the column in the newspaper, you can make the author sound like he's saying something that's 180 degrees opposite to what he was saying. Okay, so Rada, Rada I guess, uh, is it Rada or Rada? I don't know. It's R-A-D-A. He says, who am I to judge? And then he says, it's a constant searching process, and there's no simple answer on these issues. Well, here's the problem, as I said last week. The problem with this is none of this is true. The Bible never says that a divorced woman should be stoned. It's not there. 
So I don't know what the guy is talking about. And as to this um, contention that Scripture is not clear on the issues of sexual immorality and the corresponding consequences, I mean, what Bible is this man reading? My land. Maybe he should consider that part of the Bible where St. Paul told the first Christians in Rome that if they, quote, lived according to the flesh, they would die, and that those who walk in sexual immorality and sensuality with their minds set on the flesh are hostile to God, close quote. Or, or maybe if he's imbibed the Kool-Aid that everything Paul says is homophobic, which he probably has, then let's go and consider what Peter, the rock upon which Jesus built his church, what did Peter have to say about this? He said this, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Many will follow their sensuality. Do you think the pride parades are sensual? Do you think the trans movement is sensual? I mean, how can you deny that? Back to the Bible here, back to St. Peter. Many will follow their sensuality. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They blaspheme about matters to which they are ignorant, and they will be destroyed. They entice their sensual passions, scoffing and following their own desires. Close quote. Hmm. Well, if that's not good enough for you, if you don't know for sure what Peter's talking about, well, let's go to Jude, St. Jude. He says this. He says that Jesus judged Sodom and Gomorrah, which indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Are we getting pretty close to home here now? By the way, Jesus judged Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a direct this is a direct affirmation of the Trinity that Jesus is God. He's not just the God of the New Testament. He's the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of all eternity. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the judge at the end of days. Jesus judged Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't just a vindictive, angry Old Testament father God. No, this was Jesus that judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. So here's here's what I want to suggest here, that Rada is wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And oh, by the way, as you've heard, even if you don't want to accept St. Peter, St. Jude, or St. Paul, this garbage that Jesus doesn't refer to the matter at all ignores the fact that it's Jesus who is speaking in the closing verses of the book of Revelation. And Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, as he describes himself, says this, outside are the dogs, those who practice what? sexual immorality and deception. And I would argue that both of those things apply here, because if you're being deceptive in the way you're conveying scripture in your sermons or in your writing, you're guilty of deception. And Jesus says, outside, and he equates you with being a dog. Not very kumbaya-ish, is it? Jesus is pretty firm and clear there. That doesn't smack of a group hug. It smacks of direct confrontation, that you should not be guilty of doing that, and that the judge at the end of days, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Jesus will not look upon those things kindly. Sexual immorality, which is pornea, I covered that last week, and deception. Now, if you're listening to all this and you're not a Christian, you're 
probably tempted to dismiss everything I've just said. You know, a shrug. I don't care about all this stuff. I'm not a Christian. But if you're among the majority listening to me right now, and I think probably those who choose to listen to me, probably lean toward Christian. I'm just going to assume that. So if you're in that group, everything I've cited should alarm you. We now live in a time where women are losing their dignity and children are losing their innocence and men have lost their spines. Girls are told to become boys and boys are told it's better to act like girls. Our country no longer has borders and our culture no longer has a soul. Our constitution is maligned and the Bible is mocked. And we are told to fight racism with racism and to judge people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. Feelings now trump facts, and scientists now deny science in the name of science. And the world's burning with the lunacy of this LGBTQIA, BLM, SJW, CRT nonsense. And yet we have evangelical pastors like Heath Rada that are foolishly fiddling while Rome burns. This is, this is silly. We need to care about this. Paul tells us, let's go back to him. In the last days there will come lovers of self, proud and arrogant. Avoid such people, he says. These men oppose the truth. They're corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth. And then back to Peter again. Like I said, the rock upon which Christ built his church. Peter says this, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring destructive heresies. They will exploit you with false words. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of these people. Close quote. Now, I would argue this is pretty clear. Um, but I want to spend the last few minutes on this article again. I, I got into it last week, but I didn't finish it. It's a brief article by the Center for American Progress. And it says this, um, conservative religious opponents of gay marriage are criticizing gay marriage, same-sex marriage, because they say it violates the biblical definition of marriage. And then this article says, they are wrong and here's why. Well, the first point for us being wrong, for me being wrong. Here's what this article says. There are a few biblical verses that address homosexuality. There are just a few. And most of those are not directed at homosexuality per se. That's what they say here. Opponents of same-sex marriage routinely cite seven verses in the Christian Bible. What other Bible is there other than the Christian Bible, by the way? That's a pejorative statement. And they cite these verses, says the article, as condemning homosexuality and calling it a sin. But when taken in context, says the article, the lessons speak not against homosexuality itself, but rather against rape, child molestation, bestiality, and other practices that hurt others and compromise a person's relationship with God. The problem with that statement is it's not true. If you go back and read Levitical law, if you go back and read Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians and to the Church of Rome in the Epistle to the Romans. If you read Peter, 2 Peter, if you read Jude, if you read Revelation 21, all of these passages refer, excuse me, refer to homosexuality as being wrong. There's nothing in those passages that would imply that 
the act that's being criticized and condemned by God in his word, in the Bible, in scripture, only pertains to rape and child molestation and bestiality. You know why? Because those other things are covered in other passages, okay? I've told you before that pornea is a word that's often used to describe sexual immorality. And pornea is an umbrella term that covers almost all of this stuff. So when they use the word pornea, everyone who was hearing that sermon or reading that epistle or that Old Testament passage understood what it was talking about and that it was referring to a violation of the biblical sexual ethic. And Levitical law is clear. Now you might say, well, we don't practice all of Levitical law. You're right, because the progress of Scripture makes it clear that some of the Levitical passages were pertinent only to the nation of Israel. But when you read the progress of Scripture from Leviticus on through to Revelation, and you see no change in an ethic, in this case the sexual ethic, that's an indication that nothing changed, and that we're still obligated to live by the same standards. That's why you see Paul affirming the same standards. Jesus affirms the same standards, even in the Gospels, when he tells us that a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Jesus affirms the marital union. And by the way, Jesus is God, so he's the one that inspired the the Levitical law. Jesus is the inspiration to the Old Testament just as much as he is the inspiration to the New Testament. So this claim that the clobber verses only speak to child molestation and rape and temple prostitution, etc., is just bogus. It's not there. They're making it up out of whole cloth. They also say Jesus never says a word against homosexuality. I've covered that one. Not true. Read Revelation. He speaks to it very specifically when he says, outside are the dogs, those who practice sexual immorality, pornea, and deception. So being deceptive about this kind of stuff is wrong, and practicing sexual immorality, pornea, which includes bestiality, fornication, adultery, homosexual behavior. It includes the whole ball of wax. Everybody who is an honest biblical scholar recognizes what pornea meant. The third point that they're trying to make in this article is that the Bible never mentions or condemns the concept we call same-sex marriage. Well, you know what? The Bible never condemns heroin use or cocaine or meth either. The Bible doesn't condemn drunk driving. The Bible doesn't condemn a lot of things. For example, the medical procedures that we call partial birth abortion. Now, they may have committed abortions that were similar to that, but they didn't, they didn't have the medical equipment to do it the same way we do it today. So you could claim, well, the Bible doesn't condemn that practice. The Bible condemns all of this through the principles of honoring the dignity of God's creation, the imago Dei, the image of God. The Bible makes it very clear that we're probably not supposed to snort crack or cocaine. The Bible makes it very clear that getting high on meth or getting high on heroin is probably not a very good idea. Anybody who would argue differently is ignoring the general principles of honoring your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, this is how crazy they're they're getting and trying to grasp at straws to make their point. Well, the Bible doesn't speak to the issue of same-sex marriage. That's because marriage was clearly defined as a union between a man and a woman in the Bible. Okay? They, they, They try to make the point that there are various different unions in the Bible that are covered, such as polygamy, Solomon, and whatnot. I covered that last week. There are descriptive passages and prescriptive passages and proscriptive passages. When the Bible refers to multiple unions, like having a thousand wives or concubines, it's not prescribing it, it's describing it, and in fact, you see a lot of the dysfunction that happens as the result of Solomon engaging in that. So the lesson to be learned there is not to emulate it, but to avoid it, because it didn't work that well. The quadrilateral... How's it working for you? Experience? It didn't work all that well for some of the patriarchs of our faith, right? You see the brokenness of Jacob's family because he had more than one wife. You see the sibling rivalry that sprung from that, etc., etc. So prescriptive, descriptive, proscriptive, you have to read the Bible in the context of the genre it was written. So the Bible never mentions or condemns the concept we call same-sex marriage, Well, it's because marriage was not defined. Nobody thought that it would include same-sex unions. That's why it doesn't speak to the issue, because it's assumed by virtue of all the teachings of the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that this is a union between one man and one woman. As Jesus said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, period. And that's a female, not a male, by the way. Ugh. Number four, I've got to be quick here in the last couple minutes. Those who claim a biblical definition of marriage as a model of today ignore various marital arrangements in the Bible that would be illegal or condemned today. Okay, I've kind of already covered that. They, they try to go in and say, the Bible is filled with stories of polygamy and husbands taking concubines. In accordance with the culture and laws of the past, women were often treated like property that could be traded or sold in marriage. That's true. That's true. And why has that changed? Because of the Bible. The Bible, the teachings of the New Testament, that one man, one woman, in union, honoring God as a symbol of the, uh, of the union between humanity and Christ, Christ being um, the husband of his bride, the church, okay? When we break down the definition of marriage, we're breaking down the definition of what it means to be in union with Christ, Again, when they talk about concubines and polygamy in the Bible, they're not prescribing it. They're actually saying, don't do it. We're going to give you a description of why it didn't work. Oh, this stuff, like I've said to somebody who posted this article, any first-year theology student ought to be able to refute this nonsense out of hand. It's so ridiculous. It's nonsense. It's pablum. Don't buy this stuff. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. It's a lie. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice sexual immorality and what? Deception. Deception. Don't buy the deceit. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.